Welcome to the analysis.news. I'm Greg Wilpert. The South American country of Colombia held a historic presidential election on May 29th. The leftist candidate, Gustavo Petro, came out ahead with 40.3%. His closest challenger, the right-wing populist Rodolfo Hernandez, obtained 28.2% of the vote. The real upset in this election, though, seems to have been the fact that Hernandez beat the traditional conservative, Federico Gutierrez, who obtained 24% of the vote. Colombia now faces a second round vote between Petro and Hernandez on June 19th. Joining me to analyze the results of what this means for Colombia is Jimena Sanchez. She's a Colombia human rights advocate at the Washington Office on Latin America in Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining me, Jimena. Thank you, Greg, for having me. So leading up to the election, polls predicted that Petro would get roughly 40% of the vote um, that he actually ended up with on election day. However, Hernandez was not expected to make the runoff according to the polls. Uh, it was generally assumed uh, that Gutierrez, the traditional conservative candidate, would end up in the runoff. So what happened and how did Hernandez pull ahead uh, and who is he anyway? What is his background and who does he represent? Well, yes, uh, you're right in saying that uh, Rodolfo Hernandez, the former mayor of Bucaramanga, a self-made uh, real estate mogul, um, with a very colorful personality and who basically ran his campaign through social media and refused to participate in most of the actual formal political debates. In the last week before the elections, all of a sudden started to get a lot of attention and managed to get the second spot in the first round of the presidential um, elections, a surprise to, I think, almost everyone. Um, what does this mean? Well, first, that uh, Colombians want a change. They are also uh, tired of the polarization that has overtaken the country since the peace accord in 2016. And also, um, they are unhappy with the way um, the establishment has governed the country to the point that they're willing to vote for a person who really um, is a crapshoot in terms of what his actual positions really are and who is rather dictatorial and kind of problematic because he doesn't seem to play by any of the rules of engagement or even uh, coalition building or anything of that nature. He refuses to make alliances with anyone and basically appears to have run um, the mayor's office uh, depending on what he felt with that day and was even violent towards people who criticized him. Um, but this is not a surprise because a year ago, Colombia had a national civic strike, uh, which came out of the lack of effective governance of the ruling party, the democratic center, and its inability to connect with most of the population or care about their socioeconomic interests. And so, the deepened inequality that happened during the pandemic, as well as the corruption of most of the funds that were sent out to basically try to alleviate that pandemic, mixed with um, this backwardness in terms of implementing the peace accord that had meant that Colombia has been having a rising number of massacres, an increased amount of internal displacement, and still a very high rate of killing of its social leaders. Um, made people really unhappy uh, with the status quo. And so what um, was the 
change candidate, which is Gustavo Petro from the left, who ran the last time um, and lost to uh, the current uh, president because the right basically unified against that other <laughs> president, has now become the more established candidate. And we have this outsider candidate being the anti-establishment candidate, uh, but with a very different um, point of view and a kind of way of doing politics that's completely unheard of uh, in Colombia. So yes, it was an indication that the, the traditional political parties in Colombia um, aren't uh, meeting people's needs and that people are fed up with that. Yes, it shows that people are tired of the left-right discourse and the attacks back and forth. Um, but it also uh, shows that Colombia may end up in some ways like the United States and like Bolsonaro's Brazil, whereby um, people are so fed up with the establishment that they're willing to sort of put in a wild card uh, to govern them uh, just because they're so unhappy with the way their situation has been going. I want to turn a little bit uh, later to what we might expect from a Hernandez presidency. But before we do that, uh, I want to turn to Gustavo Petro. Now, he's a longtime fixture, actually, in Colombian politics, a former member of the M19 guerrilla group and uh, that became a political party and currently mayor of Bogota. I'm wondering if you can say, uh, and you also mentioned that he ran for president in 2018 and lost back then. Tell us a little bit more about his background, what he represents, and what he was proposing in this election, uh, what he would do if he were, uh, were to be elected. Well, Gustavo Petro is a, a very um, intellectual, very uh, in tune with the realities of Colombia candidate, someone who has a very elaborate plan. So um, a priority of the plan would be to prioritize and implement the 2016 peace accords that has been truncated by the Duque administration because they basically put together a parallel project called Peace with Legality, which wasn't what was agreed to. Um, he is a candidate that is interested in deepening uh, democracy. He's interested in figuring out how Colombia can change its economic model in a way that uh, the wealth of the country can be distributed more broadly. I mean, all of the conflicts in Colombia have been at the root cause due to inequality and a uh, distribution of the country's wealth from land um, and, and what have you uh, very badly and only in the hands of certain people. Um, and so in that vein, he's been proposing sustainable economies, reevaluating um, the agreements made commercially, not just with the United States, but the 18 other free trade agreements and also taking advantage that Colombia is a country that is incredibly biodiverse and pluriethnic. And so uh, using that uh, potential of Colombia that's always been there, not so that multinationals can just come in and take what they need and a few elites get some money out of that in the country, but so that Colombia itself can be a real superpower in terms of the environment um, and what have you. Um, he also would open up relations with the neighboring country of Venezuela, uh, something that has been a, a big problem under Duque, uh, the Duque administration, joint forces with Trump, uh, and now with Biden to basically isolate and attack uh, Venezuela. Um, so the situation is very tense. 
And in the border area between Venezuela and Colombia, which is a very long, very porous border, you have a incredible uh, humanitarian crisis. Not just Venezuelans crossing over, but in Colombia, because along the border, you have at least 13 different illegal armed groups operating of, on the Colombian side, and that's generated displacement of Colombians. Um, and that situation hasn't been able to be addressed properly because both countries are not talking to each other. Um, you know, and that's that's completely irrational. Um, and it's also been a real problem for the economy of the two nations because there is a border economy. Uh, Colombians are used to, you know, going back and forth and Venezuelans the same. And so he wants to open up relations to figure out how you how you address all this, you know, um, not just have uh, the debate on Venezuela be focused on what the United States wants it to be. Um, and then the other thing that he's going to or plans to do is to reopen dialogue with the second guerrilla group, the National Liberation Army, the ELN. So Duque uh, campaigned on tearing up the peace accord, which he's managed to do to a certain extent. However, despite that, most of Colombia has fought for the peace accord and has, so has most of the international community, so it's not dead. But you know, he's managed to, to, to not make it what it should be um, and to deviate funds elsewhere. But um, he also, when he got into office, was like, we're not negotiating with the ELN unless they follow a whole bunch of criteria that they can never meet and that they would never meet. And so that basically, in and of itself, closed that process off. And that's been terrible. It's been terrible for people along the border, uh, especially in Arauca and Catatumbo, where the ELN has strongholds. And it's been a massive problem all along the Pacific, especially in Choco, where you have mass recruitment and where you even have to the point uh, 30 or more indigenous youth who've committed suicide not to be recruited by um, the ELN in those areas. And so, you know, that group um, had for the first time in its history with Colombia had the least amount of uh, casualties against civilians and had lessened uh, the impact of conflict uh, because there was a peace accord that was being negotiated with the FARC and they had a bilateral agreement for a while to um, basically um, have a ceasefire. And, and so, you know, there was great expectation that the next step would be, okay, let's do a dialogue with the ELN. They got to the point where they even had a whole agenda and Duque just completely crashed and burned that. And so their reaction has been to up their attacks, but then the Colombian military's reaction has been to up their attack as well in those areas and the impact on people in those areas, mostly Afros, indigenous campesinos has been absolutely terrible. Um, and so Petro would reopen that agenda. Uh, just opening the agenda would alleviate harm for a lot of people. Um, he would more likely support these so-called humanitarian accords, which is basically um, regional accords to ask all of the groups to keep the civilians out of the conflict, something which the Duque administration has refused to do. Um, and so I think that his policies would be more humanistic um, and more willing to take into account what is known as the others or the outer periphery of Colombia 
the Columbia that's not um, the technocrats and the bureaucrats and the urbanized uh, people in Bogota. Um, I was just wondering if you could say also a couple words about um, Petro's running mate, Francia Marquez. Um, uh, who is she and what did her, pet, her presence on the Petro ticket mean for the election? Okay, so first is background. For the past 20 years that I've worked on Colombia, I've worked on the Afro-descendant issue. And WOLA has had a working relationship helping um, the community councils, the uh, uh, Black Communities Process, PCN, which is the organization that Francia Marquez comes from, um, and many other Afro-Colombian organizations with their work with the U.S. Congress. So we've known Francia uh, for at least 15 years. And it's amazing, amazing to see someone as amazing as her in this position and with the real possibility of becoming vice president in Colombia. Colombia is, I will always say, at least 100 years behind the United States when it comes to racial relations. Um, and so there's, she's broken many barriers through this. Uh, so Francia was a, a social leader from Suarez, Talca, Northern Cauca, a conflictive region of the country. Her community has collective lands. However, they were never formally recognized because Law 70, which is the law of the black communities that grants collective titles, um, were the titles that were granted at the time were mostly Choco and other areas and not as far south as Cauca, although that's a big mistake because there's a huge Afro-descendant population in Northern Cauca and they've been there since, you know, since slavery. But um, that has made it uh, easy for outsiders to come in and claim that those lands are theirs. And this is precisely what happened in her community. A third party who doesn't even live in the area intervened basically saying that those lands were there. And so all of the Afro-Columbians living there should just be evicted. So they got a title illegally, but Francia fought this. Um, she was obviously not her alone because the thinking in the Colombia, in the Afro-Columbian community is always collective, but she was a major player in stopping that eviction of her community in La Toma, and that's how she, her first sort of claim to fame. Then after that, um, she started organizing Black women from Northern Cauca to protest the security and other conditions in Northern Cauca, including uh, running a march from Cauca to Bogota, where the ladies then took over um, one of the ministries to get attention. And all of that led to her getting wider recognition. And so she won the Golden Environmental Prize, um, which is a big deal, and put her on a higher level. And then after that, uh, she ran for Congress and got very good a number of votes. And then she was running for president. And basically, in the primary consultations that happened at, um, in March 13th, at the same time they had the congressional elections, she got so many votes that it became obvious um, that she should be uh, Gustavo Petro's uh, running mate. But Francia comes from a very different background than Gustavo Petro. She comes from uh, the struggles of the indigenous and Afro-Colombians in the southern part of the country. Um, she comes from the struggles of the gold miners, you know, the ancestral gold miners, which is what many Afro-Colombians um, have done for generations, um, which is 
uh, very different agricultural um, uh, traditions. And that's what makes her so um, open uh, for so many people because she represents the struggles that many Colombians, not just Afro, but others have had to face. She also uh, comes with a very clear feminist agenda and has the backing of most of the feminist organizations in, in the country because she speaks very clearly about the intersectionality between racism, uh, patriarchy, misogyny, and the challenges of being a uh, solo mom like she was uh, from a very young age as, as a teenager. Um, and so I think that um, that uh, debate, that perspective um, in these presidential elections are the first time that we ever hear them in the history of Colombia. The situation about the women, the situation about rural women, the situation about rural peoples in general um, have never been a part of the debates or, or of interest of, and the national stage in Colombia. So she's already done an incredible contribution in diversifying the debate um, and, and bringing to the fore a lot of issues that are at the heart of the problems and conflicts in Colombia, but that um, the political and economic elites would rather no one talks about. Yeah, it seems pretty amazing. Um, as I mentioned before, though, uh, it, you know, uh, Petro was running, uh, you know, was a front runner, and now it looks like he's going to have a real uphill battle trying to win the presidency. So I'm just wondering what happened uh, in this campaign. Uh, was it a fair election and a fair campaign? What's your evaluation? There were lots of concerns going into the presidential campaign because the congressional elections did have fraud and there were 390,000 votes that were just found after um, the first initial um, reports. Um, you know, and yes, that was normal in the process in the sense that um, they were eventually counted, but it was abnormal in that Colombia, you don't usually have those number of votes kind of like disappear and have to have people fighting for those votes to be counted. Um, it usually runs very well and very smoothly. The normal problems in Colombia are those of violence, which there was quite a bit of violence, not in the case against um, the Pacto Histórico as much as the uh, victims that were running for the peace seats in the most conflicted areas. These are seats that were set up by the peace accord. But, you know, that's usually the problem and that's what everybody was fearing uh, going up to this uh, presidential election because you had had an armed strike by the Gulf Clan paramilitaries, and you had an armed strike by the ELN guerrillas, and so anything could have happened, right? No. Surprisingly, um, it went very smoothly, and I think the reason was because the congressional elections didn't go smoothly, but also because he had one of the most massive observations from multiple observation missions, not just the Mission uh, Observación Electoral, which is like the civil society um, observation mission in, in Colombia, but also from internationally. And so there were lots of eyes and ears everywhere that did not permit as much of that to happen. That said, you did have a certain amount of vote buying. You did have pressure for people to vote for certain candidates saying that basically if they don't vote, they're going to lose their jobs. But a lot of it was pre the actual voting and it was, um, you know, manipulation 
and false information. You had tremendous disinformation um, that went around um, saying all sorts of lies and things, um, you know, of all, of, all, of all sorts, mostly focused on Gustavo Petro and, and Francia Marquez. And you had a lot of racism. Um, the racist uh, barometer counted about over 560 instances of racism against Francia Marquez. So it was surprising that it went so well. Um, it was also surprising that the level of blank votes, because in Colombia you can vote blank as a protest, was not super high. And so um, that, was, that was also surprising. <laughs> the challenge now is the losers. They are all now indicating who they're going to vote for and who their base should vote for. And while what Petro won with a huge landslide and, you know, he won more votes than he did the other time and he's been going in this trajectory of winning, um, if that, if those other losers have their um, voters vote for Rodolfo Hernandez, that's going to be a very tight race. And already some of the initial polls are saying that should that be the case, you know, if the elections were like today, he'd be winning by 52%. <laughs> this is a very dangerous situation because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the society is incredibly polarized. It just went through these mass demonstrations. And so you have on the side of more the center and the left the ability to paralyze the country should there be discontent with the results of the elections. And that could be the case if it's very close. And then you have on the other side, the capacity of much violence or other sorts of maneuvers um, should um, Rodolfo um, Hernandez not win and that other side feels that it can't. Um, most of Uribismo, which is the right wing in Colombia, has basically seen Rodolfo Hernandez as their plan B. You know, he wasn't their first choice, but they've all immediately after he won, even the most radical right wingers saying like, oh, but he's a man who's a businessman and he wants order and security. So we're all going to go behind him. You know, everybody vote for him because we can't have Petro. And, you know, part of FICO, their candidates, um, failure was that his own, his his campaign was, I'm not Petro, and Petro shouldn't win, you know? And so um, that did not work for them. However, they're transferring the energy, their support, their political machinery behind Rodolfo Fernandez because they think that Rodolfo Fernandez is not going to touch their political and economic interests, basically. So he may not have all of the points of views that he has, and it's not clear what his points of views really are. Um, you know, there's what he says on social media, there's what's on some of his plans, but you know, he's kind of all over the place on, on things. Um, so it's unclear. It's, it's not just, oh, he's conservative economically and he's socially progressive. We're not really sure what his points of views are. There are lots of contradictions there. Even the main contradiction that his campaign is supposed to be about anti-corruption when he's being investigated for corruption, okay? So this is what we're dealing with. So I think um, what we're mostly going to see is either a very close race um, where you might be within the margin of error and then we may have a full out um, 
situation of protests um, and even um, violence occurring in the country. Now, one thing that really concerns me about Rodolfo Hernandez, aside from um, his, his violent style and um, misogynistic statements and you know, not knowing what he, where he stands, um, is that he said that he would use um, the figure of internal commotion should he need to. So already he's talking like a dictator and he hasn't even uh, gotten into power. And so that's very problematic. During the national strike in 2021, Duque used faculties for the city of Cali where basically the defense, um, the, the military took over for the police and it was brutal. You had massive uh, massacres, you had more than 80 uh, civilians killed and in some of the areas, because this was all videotaped by people on their phones, it seemed like a battle zone. You know, basically helicopters flying overhead, throwing things, throwing gases, um, a tremendously horrible situation. So we know that um, if should someone call any kind of like internal commotion or what have you, that that would be incredibly detrimental on, um, on Colombians. Yeah, I mean, if you add the percentages that uh, Hernandez got and that uh, Fico Gutierrez got, it comes to 53%. So it does seem kind of difficult if they all vote the same, and that is, uh, su you know, support Hernandez uh, would be difficult for Petro to win. But one of the things that uh, that seems to strike me is if you look at the election turnout in Colombia, it generally tends to be pretty low compared to most countries, around 55%. I'm wondering now, uh, would it be possible, first of all, why is that? Why is it historically so low? And secondly, would it be possible or conceivable for Petro to mobilize non-voters and thereby end up winning after all? Okay, so the first question about why Colombians don't all go out and vote, it's really important to understand that one of the main reasons you've had various internal armed conflicts in Colombia and at least 13 different guerrilla groups over the years has been because it's generally been two political parties that have basically um, handed power over to each other every four years. And then while there's been a diversification of the number of parties, in terms of that attitude of maintaining the status quo for the political economic elites has not changed. It's been incredibly difficult for the left, for alternative and independent parties to get anywhere. It really hasn't happened um, ever. You know, Colombia's never had an alternative president, never had a leftist president all these years. It's always been within that realm of the status quo. So I think that has made uh, people very indignant about politics um, and really not believing that their votes count. Then in many regions of the country uh, where there's been a high rate of vote uh, buying or uh, not directly the vote, but the campaigns usually consist of, I'll give you a, um, a refrigerator if you vote for me or things like that. People really haven't had the uh, tradition of voting for conscience. So if nobody's offering them anything, they're even gonna vote. And <clears throat> that's, that's why it's been that situation. Now this changed a lot because of the peace accord for the first time ever you had uh, first the, the FARC party, now Comunes, have seats. Then you have these peace seats, first time ever. But more than that, it opened up the spectrum. 
and it made it acceptable in a, it opened up the door for it being acceptable for there to be many other candidates, which is partly why Petro has done so well, because some of the dislike of the communist party has led people to be like, oh, well, you know, Petro's not so bad, <laughs> you know, comparatively speaking, it's, it's a, it's a different ideology and so forth. But anyway, um, I think that it's going to be uh, difficult for Petro um, to, but not impossible to get more of those people um, to vote. So, I mean, if he goes for the strategy of getting the people who haven't voted to vote and really um, gives an opportunity for the youth and what have you, he would have to have a similar strategy, so to speak, as Rolo Fernandez of reaching them on their level and in their terms. He also needs to go to the whole part of the map in Colombia that didn't vote for him. So, you know, basically the Pacific and all around here are all, you know, Petro plus Bogota. And then here to here, um, here's Venezuela, here to here, it's been Rodolfo Fernandez. So he needs to go out into those municipalities and have them, you know, get to know him better, understand what his policies really are, because I think that this information probably has played a big role in those areas. Um, and so I think that it's possible, but, you know, it, it, it's a completely different campaign strategy than he's had now, which has been, I would change the establishment. Just to conclude very briefly, um, how significant would you say would be a Petro victory were he to win on June 19th in the runoff? Oh, I think it would be wonderful for Colombia to, for the first time, try to have um, at least a presidency that cares about the rest of Colombia <laughs> um, and the, the remote parts of Colombia, the victims of the conflict, uh, a president who uh, basically um, has thought about how you can do a drug policy that is not militarized and security focused, but rather more taking into account what was agreed to in the peace accord to begin with in terms of developing the alternative uh, economies in a lot of those areas consolidating uh, peace in those areas but and also having a harm reduction approach um and and that kind of thing i think that you know colombia needs to try that because everything else that it's been doing all this time <laughs> has not worked and especially in the past 20 plus years where a lot of how it's addressed narcotics has been heavily influenced by the United States and caused its own uh, human rights violations, displacements, and, you know, aerial fumigation of, of whole swaths of land, which all it did was push the coca, coca, coca leaf throughout the country, um, bringing with it a lot of problems for people. Um, you know, it's time for it to have a different, different approach. So I actually think it would be good. Now, how would the U.S. react to this? I'm not certain that it would be particularly positive. I mean, the U.S. has, I and mean, they were just celebrating their 200-year anniversary, Colombia-United States relationship, with a big event yesterday in the Kennedy Center. And, you know, it's very clear that for the United States, Colombia is important because of what it gives it in terms of first being its only ally, having its back on Venezuela, on Cuba, in multilateral fora, including for, with Israel. I mean, it, it, Colombia has, in terms of governments, always put U.S. interests, you know, first in terms of the policies that it does in its own country. So 
a Petro would be completely unknown to that. Um, not that uh, the, the Petro presidency wouldn't have relations with the United States. I think it would, but it just might be different. It might be more like an AMLO type situation, um, you know, where there's still some things that are the same and things that are, are adjusted um, with more of a sovereignty <laughs> approach in, in Colombia, but we'll see. Um, I think, uh, you didn't ask this, but I think Rodolfo Hernandez would be a disaster. Why? Because one of the things that is clear is that um, he, didn't, he didn't vote for the peace accord. He voted no in the plebiscite. And although he said yes, to, you know, I will help with the peace accord, but, you know, it's not clear what that means. I mean, so did Duque in the end. He was advancing the peace accord. But we see clearly that what he meant by advancing the peace accord was incredibly different than what the peace accord was. And we're at a point five years after this peace accord where it has so many um, problems and there's been so many former combatants killed, social leaders killed that, you know, somebody coming in with a different idea of what peace should be, could it be incredibly problematic for Colombia? And really um, lead to the disintegration of that accord, which has been the most important thing that's happened in Colombia in the past 60 years. Hmm. Okay, well, um, we're gonna have to leave it there for now, but uh, maybe uh, we'll have you back when after the runoff election. Uh, and we're speaking to Jimena Sanchez, human rights advocate at the Washington Office on Latin America. Uh, thanks so much, Jimena, for having joined me today. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners and viewers for tuning in to TheAnalysis.News. If you like our videos and the podcast, please uh, make sure that you visit TheAnalysis.News website uh, and make a donation there so we can continue providing the service. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our, to the podcast. Thank you.